Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Hey man, well welcome to New Heights again. I'm so glad you guys are here on a Sunday morning. If it is your first time here, make sure and stop by Guest Central. We have a gift for you, but I, I want to get right into the word. Go, we're going right back into our series on worship. A few weeks ago, the Lord spoke to me very specifically and said to immediately start a series on worship. Now, I, I come from a, a, a little bit of a different background than a lot of people. Uh, I have a, a business background as well as I've been in and around ministry my whole life, but I've never been a pastor before. But uh, when I never forget when I was 18 or 19 years old, I was with a very prominent minister on a consistent basis. And one time I said, hey, you know what? How do you know what to preach? Which seems like a reasonable question, to be honest with you. Like it's a lot of times, uh, you know, what somebody ministers, you know, why are they teaching on that? Why are they not teaching on that? So I asked, I said, how do you know what to preach any given week or any given Sunday or any given service? And the minister said something real powerful to me. He said, well, I always have six sermons, six fresh sermons ready to go. And therefore, the Lord can lead me to one of them, or, or if I feel like he hasn't given me a specific one, I can, I can pick one, then he can change it right before. But if I go up there and I'm not ready, and I don't have anything for him to work with, then, then I'm just going up there, because the scripture says to study to show yourself approved. So I, I have a, a deep Rolodex, or a deep uh, log of of uh, content. I never stop studying. I stay in the word on a very consistent basis. But sometimes the Lord just stops me and says, this is what I want you to teach right now. Now for a guy like me, that's like the easiest time because now I know for sure what he's wanting to say. Uh, so as we go along, you may hear some things over the next 30 minutes or four and a half hours, depending how long this goes, praise the Lord. You may hear some things that hit home. I want you to know, let, let me just say this, I'm not following you around. But what happens is when the Lord puts a mandate, especially on a timetable, a lot of times it's because he's speaking very corporately. I'll give you an example. In the last two days, I've had about four conversations and every one of them sounded exactly the same with four different people from four different towns that all called me at different times. They all called and said the same thing, but they're from different things. That's the Lord trying to make sure that you're hearing something. You don't have to have confirmation every time the Lord speaks to you because the word of God is sufficient. But sometimes when God is trying to lead you in a direction, he may give, he may give you several different indicators. You know, sometimes you don't know you're, you're on the right path until you see a sign. Like if you start heading east, and you're wondering, am I actually heading east? When you see the sign that says, welcome to Louisiana, that is a sign that verifies. I wouldn't say you're headed in the right direction, but you are headed east. You see what I'm saying? Everybody say, God bless Louisiana. I say everywhere I go, I've eaten food almost all over the world. I say everywhere I go, if, if, if I had to pick between you know, my favorite type of food, it would be between Mexican, Italian, Cajun, uh, American. Well, really, I guess I just like food. But anyway, Cajun food's good. Open your Bible to John chapter number four. This is our foundational scripture. 
And if you can't get this, you can't get the rest. So lock in for the next five minutes. The hour comes and now is. Everybody said now. Now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father. It's very important that you hear that. Worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. The Bible says that the time is now. Oftentimes what you're waiting on is waiting on you. Oftentimes what you're waiting on is waiting on you. Most everything in God requires a step of faith of some kind. And a lot of times, like for instance, um, the Bible says in 3 John 2 that above everything that God's will for your life is to... I'm going to come down here for a minute because it's super high up there. But the Bible says above everything else, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The prosperity of God is his will for your life. He does not want you to be in lack. He does not want debt collectors calling you every single day and you having to change your phone number three times a year to keep them from calling you. That is not the will of God for your life. The Bible also says, though, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. It does not say the wealth of the wicked shows up in dump trucks at your house. In other words, if you're sitting on the couch quoting the scripture that God's will for my life is to prosper, but you don't know the fact that he said he will bless the work of your hand and you don't have any work in your hand, there is nothing for God to bless. Are you with me? So conceptually, we have to understand that we can't just be passionate We also have to walk in truth. So the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. The Bible says he'll bless the work of your hand. The Bible says in the New Testament, get this, the New Testament, that's the time that we are alive. You don't work, you don't eat. So for us, it's imperative that we understand certainly prosperity is the will of God in our life. But he also said he gave man the power To get, or actually that word in its original translation is more closely related to create wealth. So for instance, you can, over 20 years, you can uh, uh, build a life or you can build a life with some strategy and begin to create some things that create other things and, and things begin to move and shape and they'll grow as you grow. But at the end of it, it says God gave man the ability to get wealth. Doesn't say that God shows up with dump trucks every Saturday morning with wealth and dumps it in your driveway. He gave you the power to go get it. And then he gave us laws that we function in. One of the biggest is seed, time, and harvest. So as soon as you plant a seed, you've run into the waiting period. That's the time. And then comes harvest. And most people get harvest twisted. But you have to talk to a farmer to understand it. Harvest is more work than the seed time and the waiting time. So a lot of times, harvest looks like this. Oh God, I'm believing you for increase in my life. I'm believing you to break every chain of bondage in my life. And then the boss walks by and says, hey, 
we got an extra project we need to do. Uh, can you stay late three hours? And instead, you go, Lord, why are they abusing me? They're taking advantage of me. Oh, my goodness gracious. When the truth of the matter is that overtime that was offered to you is a part of your harvest. And harvest requires more effort than the seed or the time. Are you with me? So all these things come together to, feel, to, uh, to build a truth that you can actually live off of. So what he's saying here is, is uh, God is looking, and the time is now, for people to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, spirit, it's a little bit of a recap. Spirit can be considered like spiritual things, like, like Holy Spirit worship. Have you ever been in, in a worship service, like probably here even, where you sense the Holy Spirit. Just raise your hand and wave at me so I know I'm not alone. You've experienced the presence of God. That is partially what it's talking about, but that word also can be translated like passionate. So if you worship God, but you have no passion, or you say, you know what, I worship God, but when the Dallas Cowboys are on television, you shout and scream at the television, but when you come to the house of God, you grip the front row in front of you so hard that you squeeze your fingerprints into the cushions of the back of that seat and have no passion at all. You may say you're passionate about God, but your life says something else. Do you see what I'm saying? So he said, he's looking for people to worship passionately. And you say, well, I'm just not a passionate person. Well, let me just tell you in the Bible, you will find example after example after example of people that are passionate that receive from God and example after example after example of people that are too cool for school that never receive anything from God. So he's looking for people that will worship in spirit with passion, Holy Spirit led. Also, if you've never been in an environment where the, in an environment where the Holy Spirit is prevalent, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father or Jesus. So we don't exclude the Holy Spirit. He has different names. Uh, we call him Holy Spirit. We call him uh, Spirit of Christ. We call him Presence of God, Spirit of God. And we also call him Holy Ghost, which is one of my favorite words because it tends to make people nervous. Everybody's cool when you say Holy Spirit because it sounds tepid, but when you say Holy Ghost, everybody gets this picture of something happening. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is very important because the Holy Spirit is God. Can you say amen to that? So he's looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth. Somebody say truth. Now, truth is really important because truth has a name. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's say that together. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So what he's saying here is the hour is now. Now, the reason he's saying that is because before now, Jesus was not on planet earth. So they didn't even know his name. They knew uh, uh, the Messiah was coming, but they didn't know who he was. So the Bible says the time is now when people will worship in spirit with passion, spiritually, the Holy Spirit involved, and in truth. Now, truth means worshiping in spirit, worshiping in passion, but also worshiping through the name that is above every name that can be named, Jesus. Because the entire planet is out to desensitize you to that name. 
Every movie you ever watch, every television show, somebody's going to hit their finger with a hammer and they're going to say, Jesus Christ. And they're going to use the name of Jesus like a cuss word. Now think about this for just a minute. Thank you guys for the attention, by the way. I really sense it. Think about this. Have you ever seen anybody hit their, ham, hit their finger with a hammer and say, Muhammad? The reason is, is there's no authority in that name. You don't hit your finger with a hammer and say, Buddha. You don't hit your finger with a hammer and say, Billy. Because the world, whether they know it or not, and a lot of times those that are against the things of God don't realize that they're against the things of God. They just are haphazard with their words or indifferent. But it's a constant attempt to desensitize you to the name that will actually set you free. To try to put Jesus in the pile with every other name. To try to, to, try to minimize him. When the truth of the matter is, everywhere you can apply Jesus or the truth, you can be free. And everywhere that you withhold Jesus, because everybody can say, I love God, well, who are you talking about? You see what I'm saying? Because to a Muslim, Allah is their God. So to each person, if you want to be a Hindu, they got bajillion gods. So when you say God, you don't necessarily identify who he is. That doesn't mean we don't say thank you, Lord. That doesn't mean we don't say thank you, God. But it does mean that the time is now. In other words, it didn't exist before Jesus came on the scene. But the time is now, now that Jesus is on the scene, where the Father is looking for those who will worship in spirit with passion, spiritually, the Holy Spirit involved, and in truth, in Jesus. Meaning, we will not just be singing songs. We will not just be having praises come out of our mouth. We are not talking to some arbitrary figure that is a God to somebody. We are talking to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the begin. Somebody ought to be clapping in the library. The overwhelming one. So what happens spiritually when you use the name of Jesus, which I swing his name like a sword or a battle axe all the time. When I, when I'm, when I, when I have a, a traffic accident that I avoid, cause one of y'all cut me off in traffic. Come on, somebody. When I have a traffic accident that I avoid, first thing comes out of my mouth cause I've trained myself is to say, thank you, Jesus. Because I'm not thanking Allah. I'm not thanking Buddha. I'm not thanking the, the, the ozone layer. Come on, somebody. I'm not thanking the spirit of the tree. I'm thanking the one who is and was and is to come. That's who I'm thanking. So he said, the time is now when you're going to have to start separating some stuff. This isn't just about... You know, concepts of worship. We're talking about passionate worship, feverish worship. We're talking about, you know, the Bible says the effective, the, 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 uh, the fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. There's prayer and then there's fervent prayer. 
Prayer is God bless my food and you're smelling the Chick-fil-A and you got the spicy one. Come on, somebody. And you already got the lid off of the Chick-fil-A sauce and you got the salt on the, on the waffle fries and the kids are out playing. So you ain't even worried about it. You're sitting there fixing to eat that whole thing. And then you looked over and they got some nuggets and you already ate one of their nuggets because maybe they won't count their nuggets. And you're sitting there and you got your head bowed and you're smelling that spicy Chick-fil-A sandwich just coming up. You're going, my God, that's Christian chicken I'm smelling and you're getting ready to eat it. Oh God, bless this food in Jesus name. Amen. That's just a prayer. But when your baby's sick, man, I feel the Lord in here. Come on. When your marriage is in trouble, when you get that phone call in the middle of the night, And it's that number and and, and you look at it and before you answer it, you say, Jesus, oh my God, and you answer it, hello, it's three o'clock and you have no idea. All of a sudden, it took two seconds, but a fervent prayer came out of your belly because you don't know what's fixing to be said to you. There's a difference when you worship. Great is thy faithfulness. I can't wait to go home. I wonder who's playing football today. And you're going through the motions. But there's no fervency. There's no passion. The time is now. It said he's looking for those who will set other things aside. He's looking for those who will not look look past who Jesus is, but look right at his face and with the passion of a thousand sunrises, worship him spiritually, worship him intimately, and worship him in the truth that he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the reason this is so important that you worship in Jesus is because when you say Jesus, things happen. When you say Jesus, things change because God bless all the other names of God, but Jesus is the name above every other name. Now we always apply that to like cancer. Jesus is above cancer. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus is above diabetes. Jesus is above ADHD. He really is, but he's also, he's also the name above every other name. In other words, Jehovah Jireh is a name of our God, but God said Jesus is the name. That's why you've never felt hesitant to say Jehovah Nisi, but something will try to stop you from saying Jesus. You've never felt hesitant to say God bless you. But when you get in a room and you don't know everybody, Jesus can become a little hesitant to come out of your mouth. That's because the entire world is warring against that name. Because when you say that name, the Bible also says, at the mention of his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Well, I feel him coming in here. But what happens is those of us who willingly do it now, like we're just going to keep doing it in heaven and it's going to be awesome. But, but in heaven, after everything is over and everybody's going to stand before the throne, nobody's going to have a choice. 
But in your own life, when you use the name of Jesus, let me just give you an example. Jake, come up here for a second. Y'all give Jake a big hand. I don't know if you guys know Jake, uh, but he just competed in a nationwide fitness event that I trained him for. Uh, so proud of him. You know what I'm saying? Just, I didn't, I didn't really train him, but you know, he's phenomenal. He's a personal trainer. He's got a great fitness business in town, but out of 450 personal trainers. So not like couch potatoes. He wasn't like going against just anybody. He was going against other people that are in his profession out of 450 people nationwide. Uh, yesterday morning at four 30 in the morning, he got third place. Come on, somebody. So I just want to paint just a quick picture because what happens when, when you say Jesus is really important for you to have an idea of what happens. So I'm going to ask Jake to kind of play a part, which will make a lot of sense to you guys. Uh, when I say it, Jake's going to act like he's a demon. <laughs> Everybody's out there like, I could see that. That's pretty, that's not true. Everybody's like, I can't believe he says that. Okay, here we go. So you're going about your life. And you have the demonic that's trying to stop you all the time. And you're going and you're sitting there. You say, well, you know, I got to take the kids to dance class. I got to pick them up for school. I got this. I got, I got all these things I got to do. Work is, is, is driving me nuts. And you got all these pressures that are just almost like clawing. You kind of, kind of act like you're fixing to claw me, Jake, but don't actually claw me. See, it's, this is what's trailing you all the time. I know this looks funny, but this is really what trails you. And when you just sit there and you go, but Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Every knee, thank you, every knee has to bow. So when you apply Jesus to your situation, all this stuff that is trailing you has to pause for a second and go, he's Lord. Now they don't enjoy it, but they have to. So in heaven, when we all go before the throne, they're going to be like, and here's Jesus. We're going to be like, he's Lord. Yes. Oh, he's Lord. We love him so much. Can't wait for the marriage supper of the lamb. Oh, glory to God. And it's just going to be a big party. And Jesus is going to be like, that's that new Heights church crowd over there. I've been knowing them for a minute. There's going to be some other people over there going, they said it was going to be like this, but I didn't believe it. But then there's going to be the demons, the devils, the, the angels that fell from heaven with Lucifer. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if when they say, I don't know if when they say, and here's Jesus, if they're going to willingly go to their knee and, and, and say, Jesus, Lord, or maybe Michael will be standing right beside them. And as soon as they say, Jesus, with a big angelic smile on his face, he might kick their knee out from under them and say, now bow. I don't know. But we do know every knee will bow at the mention of his name. So when he says, worship the Father in spirit passionately, the Holy Spirit rebel, uh, uh, relevant in the situation, but also in truth, in the truth of who Jesus is. It's because he said, worship the Father, but he said, in truth. In truth is in Jesus. If you honored the Father, but you ignored Jesus, you would dishonor the Father. If my kids were in here and you honored me and you spit on them, I still wouldn't like you. It doesn't matter what honor you would give to me if you ignored my offspring. Yes. Yes. But if you honor my offspring, instantaneously you're honoring me. Yes. Yes. So that's what he's saying. 
worship in spirit and in the time is now when you can actually get to the father because no man comes to the father, but by him, the Bible says in spirit and in truth. Now I'm going to give you two things really quickly. This is the new stuff, but worship. If you're a note taker, write this down. And a side note before you start writing, even attention is worship. When you're saying, Lord, do you, do you, do you want to tell me something today? And you say, you say, well, I'm, I'm going to listen to what he has to say. Even if I've heard 90% of it already, there might be one thing I haven't heard. Even that's one of the highest forms of worship. Getting your kids dressed for church is worship. Come on, even if they show up with different shoes on. We, we, we go to church, our, our kids go to church all the time. All the time. And they, they all say the same thing when they go to bed. It's church tomorrow. They all say the same thing every night. And they ask because they love it. They love church. But, but at the end of the day, like it is a form of worship to get and prioritize your family week. To say, I'm going to make sure their teeth are brushed. I may not get the top half, but I'll get that bottom half. Praise the Lord. I'm going I'm to, when I was growing up, you used to have to like, it's almost like a costume party. You wore all these other clothes all week. And then at the, it, on the weekend, you wore something like, like everybody wore suits. Even little kids wore suits and ties and stuff. And they were all, by the time, by the time you wore them second or third time, if you're a little boy, they're all stained up anyway. But nowadays it's not as culturally necessary, um, to, for, for kids. Some people still like to do it and that's cool. But but kids can now, they come, my son, he wears a baseball cap to church about half the time. And I'll tell you what it says on it. It says, riding bulls and punching fools. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. I just laugh at it. I asked Crystal, who's like super holy. I'm like, baby, I said, what do you think about that? She said, I think it's funny. I said, cool, let the boy wear it. Even getting your kids to church is a form of worship. Cracking your Bible and reading it, whether it's on your phone, your iPad, or leather and paper. That's worship to God. When, when you don't respond arrogantly to somebody, that's worship to God. Your life is a song. See, music is not worship. We worship with music. Because if music was worship, we couldn't explain all the songs that come out. But we use music, and music will exist forever. It's going to be in eternity. It's going to be in heaven with us. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be super cool. But worship is, is, is more than, than just music. But when we worship, like in here with music, this is the new stuff, worship requires intimacy. And intimacy requires vulnerability. Worship requires intimacy and intimacy requires vulnerability because when you are intimate, your problems might not go away, but they don't bother you near as much. But being intimate requires you to be vulnerable, which is why when you have a problem with your spouse, the first thing that goes out the window is the intimacy. Because intimacy requires you to be vulnerable. 
And when you're offended, you don't want to be vulnerable. Does that make sense? And the same way in a marriage, if you've been married for more than one year, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're married for less than a year, just keep on keeping on and know what I'm telling you is true. If you're going to be married for a long time and stay intimate, it requires you to be strategic. Because when you're a newlywed, intimacy makes all the sense in the world. Because you got nothing else to do. Is my face red, Jake? I'm going to try to keep this PG, but it's very important for us to understand. Intimacy requires vulnerability. When you are in that newlywed stage, intimacy is, is almost a byproduct of breathing. But as your, as your relationship grows and the logistics of your life increase, you work here, they work there, the kids have to be dropped off here, picked up there, grass needs cutting, you know, the, the dishwasher needs emptying, the, the, the carpet needs vacuuming, God help us, the toilets need scrubbing. Now, intimacy is not as, as, as knee-jerk as it could be. And what happens when intimacy leaves is our frustration and offense increases. But when intimacy is there, Sometimes the problems and the struggles may not have left. We just don't care about them because the intimacy creates almost like a force field that stops us from being offended with our spouse. For instance, if you and your husband have a, have a little bit of a tiff going on, a little bit of a spat, and, and intimacy has not been pursued... After some time, whatever that time is for you, you're going to walk in and you're going to see his boots laying in the exact same place they've been laying every day for 25 years. And you're going to go, I can't believe he still has his stinking boots right here. I don't know. God must be testing me. (laughs) Sir, same scenario. Intimacy goes out the window. And let me just say this. All other trip hazards are harder to see when intimacy leaves. Somebody walks up to you smelling like perfume and says the right thing at the right time and instantaneously you start having a conversation that should have never gone to that level. That if intimacy was still being pursued in your own house, you would have immediately recognized it and you would have shut it down before it started. Same thing, ma'am. Somebody's going to come up to you and they might not be smelling like perfume, but they might say, are you okay? Your answer to that is none of your freaking business. I got a husband. Well, that's a little too much. Well, I protect my marriage at all costs. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to offend my wife. I'd rather offend all of you Then my wife, one time, 
So what happens when intimacy leaves, the trip hazards become less obvious. And intimacy creates the ability to ignore offense. So for instance, you got a little spat going on with your wife. All of a sudden, this woman has never, and I mean never, put enough salt on the chicken. (laughs) And what you think, here it is, what you think is a change in somebody else will bring you happiness when the truth of it is your happiness is your responsibility. And intimacy gives you the ability to overlook and endure the challenges. Case in point, for all the newlyweds out there, intimate on a consistent basis, You walk in the exact same room, there's his nasty work boots, and you go, look at that. He was so tired from coming into work, Big Daddy left his boots here. I'm going to put them in the closet for you. Baby, I'm putting these boots in the closet for you, Big Daddy. See what I'm saying? Oh, put them down, didn't I? I promise you, I promise you, he'll put them boots anywhere you want them put. (laughs) Intimacy goes a long way. Same thing. You sit down and you eat some of that saltless chicken. Tastes like a piece of shoe leather. Tough as an old rope. You say, honey, I'll tell you what. You sure can cook that chicken, baby. And she's just like, yeah, I cooked it, didn't I, Daddy? Look at me cooking that chicken. Yeah, you did. I just slapped the counter. What are y'all talking about? It's funny because it's true. I think we ought to tell the truth in church and shame the devil. Intimacy will cause you to overlook nearly everything. Nearly everything. So it's the same way with the Lord. When we don't have intimate time with him, we start building a laundry list of all the stuff that if this happened, we'd be happy. If I just had this house, I'd be happy. If I just had this car, I'd be happy. If my kids just got into this school, I'd be happy. If I just didn't have to work, from one o'clock to 1.30 every single day in the afternoon, I'd be happy. It's just so much, huh? When the truth of it is, what we need is intimacy because the intimacy insulates us against the offenses of this world. And when you spend time with him in an intimate moment, it requires vulnerability. And vulnerability means you've got to expose to him what you've been hiding from him. But the truth is, he's not surprised by it. You've just withheld it. And he's so kind that he doesn't run in and snatch it from you. Do you remember when the prodigal son came home? The Bible says that he had gone so far from his father's house that he was uh, looking at what pigs ate and wishing he could eat what the pigs were eating. And the Bible said he came to himself and he said, I'm going to go to my dad's house and I'm just going to be a servant. And he went back and the Bible says that his daddy saw him 
way off in the distance and ran to him. In other words, the minute God sees one step of vulnerability, he runs to your rescue. He's not asking you to figure everything out. And you'll find out, certainly he answers our prayers. But you'll find out you don't need all of your prayers answered as much as you just need intimate time with him. I remember one time in the last couple of years, it, it flooded and we have a place way out in the country and my kids and my wife were there and, and the creek flooded and we couldn't get there or I couldn't get there. My kids and my wife were there and I was standing there or I was sitting on the, on the front of the road and the, the water's, I don't know, five foot deep or something. And the police are like, you gotta, you gotta move. I said, where am I going to go? <laughs> he said, he said, well, you can't stay here. He said, it's going to start a big traffic jam, whatever. I said, man, my wife and kids are on the other side of the road. On the other side of this creek. I said, as soon as this creek goes down, I'm going, I need to go where they are. He said, well, just, you know, come back and check on it periodically. So I was like, okay. And the truth of it was, it wasn't that I wanted anything else other than to just be close to them. Because being close to them, even though there was still storms, is what brought me peace. When you are intimate with God because you have made yourself vulnerable, all of a sudden... Now you begin to find peace without regard to what's actually going on in your life. Now the boots don't bother you as much. Now the person cutting you off in traffic doesn't bother you as much. Because you've been around him and the more you are like him, excuse me, the more you are around him, the more you are like him. Because he rubs off on you. Have you ever heard that saying, you're a product of your surroundings, you're a product of the people you're around? Did you know you can spend time with Jesus and the same thing is true? One of my favorite songs, oh, to be like you, I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you, forever the hope in my heart, oh, to be like you, like him in forgiveness, like him in peace. Like him in strength, like him in meekness, like him in overlooking shortcomings, like him in being patient, knowing that he is working behind the scenes, like him uh, to be, to be like him means you have been intimate with him. I say stuff now that Crystal has said the whole time I've known her. These were not, these were not phrases from my family's background, they are phrases that I picked up that probably came from her family background. I sound like her now because we are intimate. We spend time together. When you are intimate with God and you are vulnerable with God, he begins to heal the places that you show. He begins to heal the places that you give him. And this is one of the most beautiful elements of worship. Let's give God a hand of praise right here. I'll tell you one quick story and then we're going to close. There's, there's, there's a guy named David in the Bible. Everybody say David. And David was really cool. He comes on the scene as a shepherd boy. And the Bible says that he was anointed to be king of Israel. And his brothers, they were by all measurable uh, optic, they should have been anointed. But God doesn't look at the outside as much as he looks at the inside. And so the scripture says that David was out tending his sheep. And, and uh, on the day that Samuel the prophet came to Jesse's house, David's daddy, to anoint the next king of Israel, all the brothers were there. 
And Samuel goes by with the oil and he goes, not you, not you, not you. And he goes down the whole list and none of them fit the mold that God was looking for, for a king. And the Bible says that, that Samuel looked at Jesse and said, do you have any more kids? He said, I got one more. He's out in the field tending sheep. And, and Samuel says, that's the kind of guy I'm looking for, actually. And he goes out and he says, uh, David, he said, you're a shepherd. He said, that's yes. He said, yes, I'm a shepherd. He said, how do you like being a shepherd? And David said, it's not bad. <laughs> and so he takes the oil and he pours it on David. And David is anointed the next king of Israel. And the Bible says that David went right back to doing what he was doing. And the Bible says in that time frame that he fought a lion and a bear to protect the sheep. And the Bible says he killed the lion and he killed the bear. The Bible says that one day his daddy said, David, he said, make sure that the sheep are taken care of. But I want you to go take some, some food to your brothers. They're, they're, they've been sent off to battle. David said, okay. And he takes some bread and some cheese. Are you getting hungry yet? Take some bread and some cheese. And he goes to his brothers and says, here's some bread for you guys. And I brought some cheese for the captain of, of the regiments, of your regiments, the captains. And in other words, he was showing honor already to those in authority and those in leadership. And the Bible says that while he's talking, everybody's like, oh man, so you guys are going to fight? Yeah, we're going to fight. It's going to be crazy. All of a sudden, he heard somebody yelling in the valley. And they were cursing and screaming against our God, the God of Israel. And they were, he was just railing against and cursing. And, and, and David said, are y'all deaf? Do you hear this? And they said, yeah, we hear it. Guy comes out here every day and says that. And David's like, y'all been listening to this? You hadn't done anything about it? And one of the brothers said, said, David, you need to shut up. You just came here because you wanted to see us fight. He said, no. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down there and shut that guy's mouth. That's what I'm going to do. And they said, well, did you know that if you do that, you get to marry the king's daughter? And David was like, but is she fine, though? <laughs> and they take him before Saul, the current king. And Saul says, look, you can't fight him. You're just a boy. And David rehearsed what God had already done for him. One of the most powerful things you have is to remember what God has already done for you. He said, he delivered me from a lion and a bear. He said, and surely he'll deliver me from the hands of this godless Philistine. And he said, he said, he said, well, and, and, and to try to make himself feel better, Saul says, well, at least wear my armor. And he goes and he puts the armor on and it's too big because the Bible says Saul was super tall. We don't know how big David was, but we do know he was most likely a teenager at this time. And he tries to move around. He said, I really can't move in this, Saul. In other words, he said this, what got you here is not what got me here. I'm not going to walk out your destiny. I'm going to walk out my destiny. Because the most dangerous thing in a believer's life is religion. Because religion values custom more than people. Saul had worn that armor time and time again. So he was like, fight him this way. And David said, I'm not here to fight him your way. I'm here to fight him my way. And in every new generation, there's always a new sound. There's always a new movement. And religion oftentimes makes you say this. Makes you say, that's not how we used to do it. That's not the songs we used to sing. You know, I just like the old stuff. Nothing wrong with the old stuff. 
I was, I was born and raised on, on beautiful hymns, out of the hymnal. Okay, we're going to sing verse 1. We're going to sing verse 3. Then we're going to come back to the chorus with a gentleman or a lady standing in front of the church. And they'd be, great is thy faithfulness. Like that. We're all like, what you waving at, bro? We'll sing. But religion wants you to look back and use the old thing when God always says this. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. And every generation has to turn the corner or they'll miss it. You have to look at what the new generation is doing or you will miss the new thing that God is doing. So David said, I'm sorry, I can't use your ways I've never fought with that on. It doesn't fit me anyway. And he went and he took his slingshot and some stones he pulled out of the bottom of a creek. And the Bible says that Goliath, the big old giant, started yelling at him. He said, what is this? Looks like a little dog. And David's over there with that sling saying, you're about to find out what kind of dog I am, buddy. He says, you guys send me a dog? He said, little dog, little boy, I'm going to cut your head off and feed you to the birds. And David said, you come against me with spear, with a spear and a shield and a sword. He said, but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. Spirit, truth, passionate. He said, you think you're going to cut my head off? He said, before this day's over, I'm going to stand over you, cut your head off, and the birds are going to eat you. Goliath gets angry. And the fight starts. And the Bible says David took what he knew. And he took his sling. And he threw a rock. And it buried in Goliath's forehead. And the Bible said David ran over. Because he didn't even have a sword that we know of. He ran over and he grabbed Goliath's sword. And he cut Goliath's head off. And the victory was, over, was, was his. But what I think is important to, to recognize. Is the Bible doesn't say that no weapon formed you formed against you will prosper, period. It just won't prosper against you. So whatever weapon the enemy is swinging at you before it's over will be turned back on him. So the Bible says that David won that great, beautiful victory. And when he won that great, beautiful victory, it, it, it began this beautiful process. One of the things that happened is his daddy, Jesse, never had to pay taxes again. Can somebody say amen to that? His daddy was like, come here to me, David. <laughs> I always loved you the best. He called his accountant. And he was like, hey, you're fired. <laughs> but he goes and he serves the king and he endures a lot. He has incredible favor. The people, he becomes a great warrior. Even more so, leads people. Gets married. Everything's going good in his life. And one day, the Bible says the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the effective presence of God in that time. Wherever the Ark was, blessings stayed. And the Bible says when the Ark was brought back to Israel, that there was a beautiful parade that was taking place. And David, 
he was wearing uh, an ephod or a coat of some kind, like almost like a coat, like an ephod. And he was so happy and he was so proud of what God had done. Every time that, the, that they would carry the ark a few steps, he would stop them. He would say, let's sacrifice again. And they would make another sacrifice to God. And there was music and dancing and people waving and clapping and shouting and just honoring the Lord. And the Bible said that David was dancing so much that his ephod fell off. And, and the Bible says that he didn't even stop to pick it up. He just kept dancing. And, and he was so proud of what God had done. And it, then his wife looked out almost like a window and saw her husband, the king, dancing in front of the people without his ephod, without his jacket. And the Bible says that, that she said, look at this guy. Is he nuts? I can't believe he's doing that. I can't believe that he would be that vulnerable in front of people. The Bible says that David came to her and she, he walked in and said, Hey, baby, you got some of that saltless chicken you cook? She says, Whatever. Why don't you go dance some more? He said, What? What's wrong with you? She said, I saw you out there making a fool of yourself. Danced out of your ephod. You can go read it. 2 Samuel 6. I bet the girls love that. That's what she said. I bet the ladies, I bet all the maidens love seeing that. He said, I ain't worried about anybody else. She said, you know what? You're supposed to be a king. You ought to be acting like that. In other words, you ought not let people see your worship. You shouldn't let anybody see you worship. But your worship is actually a witness that you believe what you say. He's either God or he is not. And if he's God, he ought to be worshiped. And if he's not, what are you doing here? The Bible says that David looked at her and she's like, David, you're supposed to be cool, man. Anybody got your cool card? It's like a little badge. You're supposed to be cool. You're supposed to be the king. And when you're a kid, you know, being cool is like a big thing. And you think that when you become an adult, it goes away. I have found, I have found the burden of trying to be cool to actually increase as you get older. Because when you have kids, now you're like trying to make sure they're cool. You're trying to make sure that everybody thinks the right thing about you. And, you know, you don't ever want to look stupid in front of anybody. You don't ever want to look uninformed. So when somebody says, hey, do you know this? You just need your go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have a clue. So you walk around with your cool card and you're like, you're like, nothing affects me. Nothing moves me. Look how cool I am. And then you come to church and you keep your cool card and, and, and the worship team says, come on, let's lift our hands and sing. And you're like, no. And you grip the chair in front of you or you put your hand in your pocket or you put your hand behind your back. And somebody says, can you say amen to that? And you're like, nope. Why? Because I'm cool. I'm too cool for that. Now, nobody in this room has ever killed a lion and a bear with their hands. Nobody in this room has ever had a prophet seek you out in a field full of sheep, pour oil on your head and say, you're about to be king of Israel. 
Nobody in this room has ever marched out into a field and killed a giant with a slingshot. And I just want you to know, at least from a manly perspective, that's some pretty cool stuff. So if anybody had the right in the world's eyes to play the cool card, it'd have been David. You know what they said about him? He'd come marching through the streets and they say, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. He could have said, sure did. (laughs) Ain't never been a warrior like me. He could have looked over at his brothers and said, hey guys, do you remember when y'all killed Goliath? Oh wait, no, that was me. (laughs) Hey guys, do you remember when Samuel came and put that oil on? No, also me. Because he was cool, man. But when his wife said to him, are you nuts? Letting everybody see you worship like that. You look like a fool. He said, woman, you think that was something. He said, might I remind you? It was the God I am dancing and shouting and singing to that delivered me from a lion and a bear. It's the God that I was dancing and singing and shouting to that brought the oil all the way into a field full of sheep while everybody else was standing in line. And he poured it on my head. She said, woman, if you think that was something, you should have seen the day he delivered me from Goliath's hand. You should have seen the day he delivered me from the spear of Saul. You should have seen the day he delivered me from the cave. You should have seen that day. I'm guaranteeing you this woman, if you think that was something, he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. One translation said, if you think that was undignified, I will be even more undignified. He said, what does that exactly mean? It means get out of your comfort zone and actually worship him if you really want to encounter him. You come in here and act the same way. You've always acted. Your daddy acted. Your grandpa acted. Your mama acted. Whatever. You're going to get everything they got. And if they, their faith glowed and they translated to heaven like Enoch did, then do it that way. But if they left some stuff that you want to improve upon, you're going to need some intimacy with him for him to knock some of the stuff off of you so that you can actually endure this life and thrive through it. We don't just lift our hands because it's cute. Some of y'all, you're not cute when you do it. There's all kind of worshipers. <laughs> you got the airplane worshipers. You got the about to turn left on a bicycle. I'm not going to tell you the other ones. <laughs> I got a few more, but I was, I was filtering through some of them that might be appropriate. None of them were. Well, what happens is you got a choice. You can either play the cool card. But can I just tell you the rest of the story? Like Paul Harvey, his wife, because she ridiculed his worship and she told him, your worship should not be visible to anybody else. Went barren. 
In other words, your worship brings intimacy with God when you make yourself vulnerable and he begins to move in your life. But if you ridicule somebody else's, it won't stop heaven in their life, but it'll stop heaven in your life. Why are they shouting? I don't understand. Man, you can plug up heaven. But if you go the opposite and you say, you know what? I'm going to try to go all in. I'm going to see what really happens. Let me just say this too, because I feel like it's necessary. It's all real. The Bible says we lift our heart with our hands. The Bible says our hands are holy now. The reason they're holy is because he shed his blood in his hand. And wherever the shed blood of Jesus is applied, there is atonement. So before Jesus, you could not lift a holy hand. But now your hand is holy. The devil's hands are wicked. It drives him nuts when you lift your holy hand. It's almost like saying nana nana boo boo. But vulnerability begats intimacy. And intimacy brings you to that place in God that nobody else can take you. You have to go there. You can't affect where I go in God. But you can stop his hand if you pay attention to how I worship or if you refuse to worship. The person next to you can get everything they need from God and you can walk out of here with nothing if you constantly play the cool card. Matter of fact, everybody just hold your card up. No pun intended, but these things do look cool. Hold them up with two hands, almost like you're, you're proud of them. And, and, and let me tell you the first step, the first step in really going to that place of intimacy is to hold it up like you're proud of it and tear it in half. I know it was just a piece of paper, but some of you just got set free. When you say, man, now, now I get it. It's not about me. I didn't come in here to be seen. I came in here to touch him. He said, well, well, I don't sing that good. I'll say this. We know. But you didn't come in here to be heard by people. You remember when Jesus was walking by Jericho and Bartimaeus started screaming out and Jesus stopped in his tracks. Boom. And everybody says, shut your mouth, Bartimaeus. Leave him alone. And the Bible says he yelled even louder. It's like he was saying, you guys may think one thing, but y'all had never, you've never been able to heal me. If he's the one that heals, I want his attention. I don't want my voice to be uncommon in the spirit. I want my praise going up on a constant basis. I want the intimacy with God to be more important than the insecurities of my cool card. I want the vulnerability with God to be the thing that gives him access to fix the situations that I can't fix. And to help me endure the challenges that I have to go through. And when you do that, your worship begins to elevate. 
And when your worship begins to elevate, the Bible says this. He inhabits the praises of his people. And then he starts to show up. And that's what we've been experiencing, especially this summer. At New Heights Church. Where there's just been an increase of his presence. Where vulnerability becomes our standard because we know he's the one that heals. When you refuse to be vulnerable to the Lord and you tell everybody about your problems, it's like you're taking your toaster to an auto mechanic or your car to an appliance repair shop. They're not designed to fix that, but he is. And the minute you pull those layers away and say, for real, God, I'm here for you. If you'll fix it, I'm going to give it to you. And he says this. Cast your cares on me because I greatly, greatly care for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Stay seated for just a second. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.